I think the biggest piece of advice that I have is that no one, and I mean no one, can deny a call from God other than you. So like, if you feel it in your heart that you are being pulled by the divine to work in charities, to have conversations, to dance in drag, or to preach at a church, like you are the one having that intimate conversation with the divine. Welcome to Everything is Spiritual, a podcast from Soul Care Urban Retreat Center. We're talking with local folks, faith leaders, creatives, thinkers, and community advocates, getting personal about their faith and spirituality and how it shows up in their daily life and work. I'm Kelly Skinner, your host, and I'm sharing these heart-centered conversations to invite you to become more aware that everything is spiritual and to deeply connect with what is most true and alive in your own everyday life. Isaac Simmons is a 23-year-old senior studying theology at Illinois Wesleyan. He's also a congregant and staff member at the Progressive and Affirming Hope United Methodist Church in Bloomington Normal. And when Isaac announced his calling to ordain ministry, his home church community celebrated and encouraged his discernment. Isaac became the first openly queer person to be certified as a candidate for ordained ministry within the Illinois Great Rivers Conference of the United Methodist Church and reportedly the very first drag queen to receive that title in the world. Yep, Isaac is a drag queen. And his drag performance as Miss Penny Cost is rooted in the joy-filled reclamation of spirituality for and with queer folks. His mission and hers too, is to break down the false duality, which for far too long has stated that queerness and faith cannot be combined. He's here to say that you, right here and right now, are enough. And there's nothing that you'll ever have to do to experience the love, affirmation, and celebration which freely flows from the divine. We're talking about calling, storytelling, and co-creation, and what it means for our spirituality, our sense of self, and even our mental health. So let's get started. Hi, Isaac. It's so good to see you. Hello. It's so good to be here. Thank you for inviting me and having me. Yeah, well, I was just excited to be able to connect with you and the work that you're doing and just amazed that somebody like you is in our little corner of Illinois. Yeah, oh my gosh, it is amazing. Like I I don't know, I never I never dreamed that I would be doing drag, um, let alone drag ministry. So I'm just trying to take it one day at a time. Um, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I am trying to do it. Yeah. Well, do any of us really know what we're doing? Isn't that the case? Yeah. So why don't you just kind of jump in and tell us a little bit about you and your role and kind of do that formal introduction. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I am Miss Pentecost. Uh, when I'm all dolled up in drag, uh, I use she, her, her pronouns. Out of drag, I am Isaac Simmons and I use he, him, his pronouns. I am the first drag queen in the entire world to be allowed into the ordination process of the United Methodist Church. Uh, so I am a certified candidate for ordination. And I'm just trying to truck along. Currently, there is a big debacle over the inclusion or exclusion of LGBTQIA plus rights within the Methodist Church. And here I am, a drag queen in ministry doing my own thing. But really at the heart of what I do is I provide a space and provide an outlet for individuals to begin the process of reclaiming the power and authority of faith and spirituality within their lives. Because if a drag queen can be in a pulpit, then anyone can. And so that's the heart of it, is just this joyous, revolutionary 
liberation that exists within queer art and faith. Mm. Now you're affiliated or a member of Hope Church in Bloomington, Normal. Tell me a little bit about Hope. Yeah. So here at Hope, I'm the director of operations, which means that I do anything and everything that needs to get done um, from the day to day. Uh, But Hope Church is this amazing, inclusive new church plant. Um, We've been around for about seven years now. uh, And from the very beginning, LGBT inclusion and affirmation was central to who we are. About 70% of our congregants identify as LGBTQIA+. Um, Mm. And it is just the air that we breathe. I discovered Hope Church uh, at Bloomington's first Pride Fest. And so this like history of drag and the grandiose queerness has been a part of it for since the very beginning. So yeah. That's wonderful. Um, So are you from Bloomington? No, I grew up in Bartonville, Illinois, um, which is right outside of Peoria. But I moved to Bloomington for school. So I go to Illinois Wesleyan University and I double major in religious studies and business management. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Yeah. And then you kind of connected with Hope? Yes. Yeah. So I had been hopping around different churches trying to find one that kind of fit the vibes, as the cool kids say nowadays, Mm -hmm. Um, but also the theological foundation that I believe and that really jives with me. And it wasn't until that that first Pride Fest when over the intercoms, they said, security provided by the pastors at Hope Church. (laughs) And my first thought was, oh, crap, now I have to go to another church. (laughs) (laughs) And I showed up and it was just like immediate love and just like this, like, I don't know, the first the first sermon that I heard, the Reverend Dr. Ginny Edwards Bertrand, the lead pastor, uh, was preaching on her trip to England that she had just gotten back from. And it was all about like the sins of colonialization and anti-racism and like all of this like stuff that I had never heard in a church setting before. And I just fell in love and kept coming back. You were hooked. I know. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And uh, I feel like there's more and more churches, especially some of the more progressive churches Mm -hmm. who are ministering and speaking and teaching in that way. And I think people are craving some of that real, you know, the things that they hear on the news and then connecting it to their faith and spirituality and looking through the lens of who we are as as Christians or whatever faith yeah. you might have about these world and life issues. Exactly. And really combining them. Yeah. So um, I didn't grow up Methodist. Um, I grew up fairly irreligious. But when I came to Hope, Hope is a Methodist church. And I, was, I began researching the history, the doctrines, the beliefs of Methodism. Um, and I discovered this thing called the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. Um, and it's that whenever you approach scripture, you approach it with reason, experience, and doctrine. Um, and so, and whenever you, it, whenever you approach reason, you approach it with the three others. And so all four of those, um, scripture, reason, experience, and doctrine are fairly equal to each other. Um, and all hold their own form of divinity. And so to see it lived out in a sermon like that, I think is really beautiful. And it really lives into the heart of what I fell in love with Methodism. Mm-hmm. So what made you connect to, um, if, you were, if you were raised kind of not in a religious setting, yeah. tell me about that journey and how your faith experience grew. Oh my gosh, yeah. So growing up, my dad's side of the family, he was raised like church seven days a week, twice on Sundays type deal. And when my mom and him got married and had me and adopted my sister, that slowly dissipated. We started distancing. And so it just became like we we would pray before a meal. Um, but I like to say that the prayer was very much like washing your hands. It was something that we did. <laughs> there wasn't, it was like a 
clinical thing, like something that we just do because. And yet I also was raised, so this might be surprising uh, for talking to a drag queen, but I was raised in the woods. I, <laughs> I grew up hunting and fishing and loving nature. Uh, so can you imagine this queen walking around <laughs> in the woods? Oh my goodness. Shooting deer. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. But like we processed all of our own meat growing mm-hmm. up. Um, and one of the lessons that I learned was you never leave the woods in a worse state than you found it. And the woods were this like highly spiritual place for me. And so as I go into college and like falling into my queerness, my, my identity, finding who I am, that sentiment that you don't leave a place in a worse state than you found it kind of carries over. Because mm. um, I think that's holy work is um, releasing the inner divinity within things through intentional acts of good and kindness. So all of that was like the air that I breathed as a child. And then I started dating my first boyfriend. I came out to my family and quickly um, started losing folks in my life after coming out. And it was a really, really hard time. It was one of the first times that I experienced depression and anxiety. And I moved out of my house at 17, Moved in with my grandparents, who are amazing. I love them so much. My mama and papa. Um, and that boyfriend said, why don't you come to church? Mm. And on that very first day, once again, that first sermon, the pastor came up to me and said, look, I don't know who you are, but you right here right now is enough. And that is all you will ever have to be. Uh, and I got like chills. <laughs> um, and that faith community really embodied what I needed in community. And I moved forward through life. Um, Over the next three, four years, I really grew into my faith. I had all these questions that I wanted answers to because I am a nerd. Um, So I dived into the library catacombs um, and started reading and researching. And yeah, yeah, that's, that's how I my faith is through this like question mark yeah Mm. so you got involved with hope church you Mm -hmm. were a end up getting on staff yeah and then tell me about your calling and what that discernment process looked like and felt like for you as you considered the path to becoming ordained? Yeah. So I like to say that my calling, I <laughs> I tried to send it to voicemail time and time again. Yes. Um, but like the universe, <laughs> the spirit you. <laughs> was like, just kept on calling because <laughs> I tried my best to say, mm, no, thank you. Uh-huh. Um, but when I entered Illinois Wesleyan, I started as a nursing major, um, oh, which is very different from where I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started out because I knew that I wanted to help people. Um, and nursing was an obvious route for me. And then I got mm-hmm. into the classes and I realized that I hated it. Yeah, because there's <laughs> like blood and bodily fluids. <laughs> and- exactly. Exactly. <laughs> No, hard pass, hard pass. Uh-huh, yeah. So, like, that first semester, I was like, I cannot do this for four years, and I cannot do this for a lifetime. What am I supposed to do with my life? So I did the thing that I thought was, like, the obvious thing. I was like, let's just pray about it. Let's meditate. Let's talk to some folks. Like, the good little Christian boy I was. <laughs> And um, everyone that I was talking to was like, have you ever considered being a minister? And I was like, "Uh, no, and I will not. (laughs) Uh, No, thank you. Um, uh, I do not want that at all. That seems very boring. And it seems (laughs) very draining. Um, And then I kept on thinking and 
literally every time I would talk to someone, they're like, yeah, 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 you could go into nonprofit, but have you ever considered ministry? And I was like, fine, you know what, I'll think about it. Um, And it's really unexplainable in the way that um, I finally said yes to this whole thing. Um, But a lot of it goes back to um, General Conference 2019 in the Methodist Church, which for the listeners who are not Methodist affiliated um, and are not nerds like me, uh, we had this whole special session where the entire Methodist Church around the world came together to vote on whether or not to uphold the homophobic and transphobic sentiments um, that are in our um, doctrine or to upend it. Mm -hmm. And the vote went very poorly um, and they chose to uphold the sentiments. And the phrasing is, quote, a self-avowed practicing homosexual is incompatible with the teachings of Jesus Christ. (laughs) It's sad that you have that memorized. I know. I know. I received enough hate mail with it. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's great. Um, But I could not believe. mm, I can believe. I can believe that that was upheld. I cannot believe that that should be upheld and that we can continue to do harm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I realize that there is a need and a place for me in this church because I am also the type of strong-headed person that when someone says, no, you can't do that, I'm mm-hmm. like, mm, watch me. Uh, mm-hmm. If you cannot give me a good reason why I cannot do it, then I'm going to do it because it's what is right. So I began to have conversations about the official process of going into the ordination process. And I really started identifying what it was I thought I was called to do. Back in the beginning, I thought I was called to like just being the average pastor of a small town church and having conversations um, and doing incremental change that way. Now I realize that it's to be a drag queen and to have these authentically queer conversations about a divinity that I believe is also inherently queer. And I think it opens a lot of doors for folks to hear it from the painted lips of a drag queen. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of how I fell into this calling. And mm, for people, whether they're churched or unchurched, yeah. who believe that the only, or maybe who whose only experience with an ordained person is yeah. in a leading a church community mm-hmm. role, mm-hmm. what other roles do ordained people, can ordained people yeah, take on? Absolutely. So, People can do anything. Um, So specifically in the Methodist church, uh, we have two identified roles of ordination. So the orders of elders and the orders of deacons. Elders um, are typically um, working within the church system, ministering and giving the sacraments of communion and baptism. Deacons are more outward faced and they have a lot of ties in different communities and they typically work in a lot of different nonprofit worlds um, and do a lot of different higher education roles. But the beauty is that those roles um, tie together and some deacons. So here at Hope Church, we have Jenny, who is an elder, and Kara, who is a deacon. Um, mm-hmm. Both of them are pastors here. That's really neat. And I think, um, I think if you're not immersed in that world you may not be aware that there's lots of different options so you may not even respond to that call if you don't know what that there's options exactly exactly so what kind of advice as somebody who is now on that path Mm -hmm. what kind of advice do you have for others who Mm -hmm. might be hearing that call or are discerning a call especially people who may not fit the traditional picture of being a a pastor (laughs) yeah i think the biggest piece of advice that i have is that no one and i mean no one can deny a call from god 
other than you. So like someone uh, like your boss or someone in administration or all the way up to a bishop cannot say that you are not called by God to do something. If you feel it in your heart that you are being pulled by the divine to work in charities, to have conversations, to dance in drag or to preach at a church, like you are the one having that intimate conversation with the divine. And it's pretty much a a two-way conversation. There's not like a way to bring a third person in. Um, But um, yeah, so if you don't fit the quote-unquote traditionalness of a calling, discernment, whatever, that's okay. Because at one time, the traditional box of discernment was a cis white man. And if anything, anyone said that they were called by God outside of that, they were denied. And times are changing. (laughs) And if you feel the divine pull, you feel the divine pull. Mm -hmm. So why is it important for you to bring drag into ministry? Ah, yeah. Oh, that's a very good question. Um, That is a question that I ask myself almost every day. um, Because like I said, I didn't I didn't really see this coming. This isn't really my plan. It wasn't um, your life plan. Yeah. And- <laughs> no, absolutely not. To spend three hours a day getting into drag just to preach for 15 minutes is uh-huh. not, not exactly what I thought I would be doing with my life. But it is now, and I am okay with that. Uh, but I believe, and I have experienced that bringing drag into faith, there is this beautiful inversion of ideas. Um, So I have been doing a lot of research in literary theorists uh, like Mikhail Bakhtin, and one of his grandiose ideas is from this thing called the carnivalesque and the grotesque, this idea that the best ways to change systems of harm and oppression and injustice is by flipping them on their heads and holding on for dear life to whatever power you have. Like think of the hunchback of Notre Dame from Disney, like Quasimodo, like that is the carnivalesque and the grotesque. So this like person with no power is able to be lifted up as the king of fools. And when that power is held on to for longer than it was meant to, because it was supposed to be a joke, but when someone says, this isn't a joke, I am not a joke, I have power and you can't take that away, change happens. Um, Mm. And so for me, that is what my drag persona is, is to say, I am not a joke. I will not be ignored. You will see me and you will see my holiness and you will see our collective holiness, our queer divinity. And there is nothing that you can do that can deny that. That is something that has not been experienced or preached about in many churches. And so it sparks this revolutionary liberation within the, the minds, whether you identify as LGBTQIA+, or if you identify as cis, straight, whatever, it, it begins to unlock this, this new way of thinking um, when you see it. Mm. Yeah. And how do people respond? Mm. You know, very mundanely, you know. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Just say, yeah, pretty apathetically. Yeah, yeah, there's no strong emotions at all. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it is incredible. I cannot even begin. So, of course, there's going to be hate. There will always be hate. But there is also this love. So, like last week, I had received this piece of hate mail, and I was like, I, I'm done. Like this. Like I, I think this is time for me to stop. And then not five minutes later, after I was like, okay, God, this is it. Um, 
I got a message from a 60, 65 year old man down in deep Tennessee who told me that Miss Pentecost was a reason why he came out to um, his pastor for the first time in his life. Wow. Um, yeah, because he said that if there was a place for Penny in a church, there could be a place for him. Um, wow. And I was like, oh, okay, I need to keep doing this. <laughs> um, so at the risk of sounding cliche, the reception of Penny and this artistry of drag and faith is life-changing and life-saving work. Um, and yeah, I, I cannot tell you the hundreds of messages of people within the closet who are in the ordination process or have gone through the ordination process, people who have left the church because they came out, people who are actively experiencing harm, who have reached out and said that this, this <laughs> carnivalesque faith is giving them hope and energy and peace of mind for the church. So it's really beautiful. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. yeah. And on the flip side, I know it's really hard to be compassionate to okay. people who are sending you hate mail and who have such um, yeah. terrible things that they say and negative energy that they send your way. But what do you think is underneath of all that hate? Oh my gosh, yes. Ah, oh, that, that is a million dollar question. I don't know. I like to think that we are all on this continuum of change and growth and education where it's all our own path. No one can walk it for us, but we can walk with each other on it and help move folks along. So I think what I hope is under that hate is unanswered questions or unheard answers. Um, mm -hmm. Because we live in a technological world where answers are at our fingertips, but it takes having a personal connection with someone for homophobic sentiments to be changed in someone's life or racist sentiments to be changed in life. And we live in a society that is inherently racist, that is inherently homophobic, that is inherently um, phobic in all senses. And it is a divine duty to actively work to change it. Um, and so I hope that I can supply questions or routes to answers, routes to hearing answers. Yeah. Hmm. And an example of that, so even here at Hope Church, um, uh, which is like seen as this like radically inclusive liberal congregation in the cornfields, um, <laughs> even here, uh, the first time that I did drag, there is a congregant that was like, they said, you know, when I first saw it, I shut down um, and could not hear the words that Penny was preaching or praying. But then they said they 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 paused it because we were we oh, do doing all our virtual stuff. yeah yeah virtual. all virtual so they paused it they closed their eyes and they said why why am I feeling this why where is this angst coming from and then they unpaused it with their eyes closed and heard the words that I was saying and they said it was beautiful and they were able to open their eyes and quite literally have their their mind's eye opened. Um, uh, but yeah, so like even here in the context of this absolute inclusivity, there are people on this continuum of change. And thank God she was willing to like raise that and tell me that story because I think that is, I think there are so many folks who um, have similar questions that are like, why is it that we're listening to someone in a dress? This, this guy in a dress, whatever, like, what is the deeper meaning? Um, and I'm able to answer that question or supply a answer to that. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. One of the things that just popped in my head was that 
I think one of the maybe the benefits of preaching in drag is that that's an identity that you can take on and off. Yeah. And I love your your analogy of the the grotesque and the carnivalesque because yeah. by being that larger than life it is it it commands attention. Yeah. Yes. There is a reason why <laughs> Christ spoke in hyperboles. There is a reason why uh, when like we read books or whatever metaphors are used and it's because it unlocks something. It says, look at this, uh, pay attention. <laughs> There's something deeper here. And I think it allows, it directs people on that path. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's that meant for your own spirituality and relationship with God, how has that evolved for you over the course of, you know, deciding to be a drag minister, um, deciding to be on the front stage, continuing to accept your calling? um, What has that meant for your own spirituality? Oh, my gosh. It... (laughs) I mentioned that it takes like two to three hours to get into drag. Um, And that whole time, like I am like two inches away from a mirror, looking at every crevice of my face Mm. and just meditating upon the creation that I am. And when I, we call it painting our face um, because it's putting on drag makeup, recreating our bone structure through makeup is a work of art. When I'm, doing that for two, three hours. It is two to three hours of prayer and this deep reflective meditation where I think about how I am taking part in this process of continuing creation from Genesis to today. Um, I am a part of that. And even as I change that which I was born with, I am still a reflection of the divine, Um, which is really hard for me to hear at times as someone with major depressive disorder and anxiety and all that fun stuff. um, It is hard for me to recognize that. And drag has allowed me to say, you know, God, I... I don't agree with you 100% on this whole I'm created in the image of God, whatever. I think, I think I'm left out of that. But I'm beginning to understand that. Uh, because there is, I don't know, especially in the queer community, there's a lot of senses of body dysmorphia and that I am not enough, um, that I'm not strong enough, I'm not chiseled enough, I'm, I don't have the anatomy that I should. And so spending so many days a week meditating and reflecting, just dwelling with myself and with God, I'm able to unlock something deeper within me, a deeper level of not quite acceptance, because I'm still not there yet. I'm still not there yet, to be honest. But I am farther along than I was when I started. And I have often been told, and queer people Um, have often been told that God is not accessible within them or by them. And so when I spend time praying and reflecting in drag, whether I'm performing on stage and having this spiritual dance, like, you know, David danced before the Lord and so does Penny, Um, or whether I lock myself in the upper room and pray and meditate and paint my face, um, In both of those instances, I'm able to dwell with divinity within me and realize and actualize the thought that divinity dwells within everyone around me. Yeah. Yeah, So that's really the heart of my personal spirituality and my connection with God through drag. My heart is soaring. (laughs) My heart is just soaring. And I just feel this um, connection. And um, I really appreciate that. I don't know. You're you're bringing me to tears. And I don't know why. (laughs) 
So thank you. I think the world needs to hear that. I think people need to hear that, whether they're people who their true identities have been marginalized or the suburban white woman who doesn't even know whether she has friends or fits in or the the dad who's questioning whether they're a good enough a good enough father or you know everybody you don't have to have those external pieces of your identity that are questioned i think a lot of people have internal pieces of their identities that need to hear your message and penny's message too we all we all have so many questions and doubts about ourselves Mm -hmm. and Another, another thing that I've been reflecting more and more on is, so I also, on one of my practices is drag as a spiritual practice. Another practice is the Holy Rosary. Oh, uh, and so oh, which it's is unusual. different things. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. But one of the days of the week is the Sorrowful Mysteries. And at first, when I was first praying the Rosary uh, and first got into this practice, I was like, this is so sad and Dumb. But recently, um, I took some time and I was thinking about how, um, like, Jesus, if Jesus can cry and Jesus can weep and God can dwell in, can feel these sad emotions and the Trinity needs community, then so do we and so can we. So, like, if Christ can cry, so can I. If God, the creator of the universe, needs community through the Trinity in Christ, then so do we. And we can find it in the wildest of connections. But yeah, mm-hmm. so like yeah. I believe that that our tears are hollowed um, by the cross, um, by Christ, uh, and all of the emotions that we feel within ourselves are anointed because we are feeling them for whether whether they are good or bad emotions that is not the question but they are necessary emotions and they are felt for a reason and in order to process and work through them we have to first acknowledge them and then say why like Mm -hmm. why why is it that i'm feeling this Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and our we can't be joyous and happy and laughing and in that presence all the time i think you can find you can find a sense of positivity but not false positivity in many things but i think you have to experience and really embrace the sorrowful emotions lament loneliness fear uh, sadness in order to more fully appreciate and embrace love and joy and acceptance and community and to really experience that in its fullness absolutely yeah so you can't have one without the other <laughs> yes, you can't. yes you can't yeah oh. yes and we can't have resurrection until we have death absolutely absolutely yeah. It, it's not just Easter all the time. Yeah. <laughs> as much as I would love it because there's such great food at Easter, but <laughs> alas, um, it is not Easter all the time. So that ties really well. Your spiritual practices tie really well into what a lot of people are experiencing with mental health and they're coming yeah. to terms with mental health. And so how does your drag practice and your beliefs and your relationship with God help you in being well and, Uh, and managing your mental health? Absolutely. I think that is an incredible question. So something that I haven't talked about much in like other contexts. So you're the first person that I've talked to do about this. Thank you. But but, um, I credit drag along with my therapist with saving my life um, Mm -hmm. because I am 23 years old and a senior in undergrad, which means that I took about a year and a half of gap year um, for 
mental health and all that jazz. Um, I took a medical leave of absence because a year and a half ago, I did not see a future with myself. And a year and a half ago, I began this practice of drag. Um, Mm. And at a time when I was at my most, the deepest loneliness I have ever been in and the deepest, darkest depression, I was able to, to say that my body, my being was worth celebrating. Mm. Um, and though I could not celebrate it myself, I was able to put on a crooked eyebrow and some iffy makeup um, <laughs> at the beginning um, and go out and have other people help celebrate me and to help celebrate the divine within me. And it truly, truly saved my life because I, I don't believe that if I had this process of slowing down and getting out of the anxiety anxiety ridden thought process and being able to dwell face to face with myself in the mirror. Like, I don't know, I don't know what would happen where I would be or whatever. Um, because to me, drag is not only about cycle breaking outside of us, like in institutions of harm, institutions of whatever, but it's also about cycle breaking within. Um, Mm. and so it, helps me to put a halt on the the cycles of like I am not enough I am not worthy I am blah 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 and to say let's just take a time out and let's just create let's take this moment to simply exist and for me that that is everything that is that is what has helped the most growth for my mental health it is it cracked the doorway along with medication and therapy, um, but it cracked the doorway for me to be able to accept the help that I needed um, mm-hmm. to grow and to manage these these symptoms of depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. So for people who may not be called into doing drag, what are yeah. some other ways that you would think that they could be invited into the co-creation process oh my gosh yeah (laughs) well you know like if you go online you're like how to best help depression (laughs) like they're like you need to eat less and go on walks and i'm like well i don't want to do that because i'm depressed (laughs) and don't want to move like i'm not going to get out of bed (laughs) and then i have to cook and yeah oh my god there's so many steps no thank you (laughs) i'll stick with this thank you very much Uh um but uh i one of the things that i think about um of like ways of creating uh is through storytelling really so like for me like i believe that we are we are all walking libraries of stories that we just want to share with the world um and we're just waiting for someone to share them with us um hence why there's so many podcasts um and hence why i'm here um look at that full circle um but if you are alone in your bed if you are just like that depression elephant is just laying on you and you cannot move. Tell yourself a once upon a time story of your youth or in a galaxy far, far away of your future. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, I think that is a way, once again, in those times of like, why am I here? I'm not doing anything. I'm not contributing to put a pause in that thought process and simply say, once upon a time, I was eight years old in the woods walking with my dad and experienced blah, 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 blah. Um, and whether whether or not those once upon a time stories are long or short or um, entirely factual or fiction, um, it allows us a moment to create and experience creation experience ourselves, our past, our future, our present, um, and experience divinity. Hmm. And just as you have the opportunity 
to paint a new face and recreate your bone structure and the perfect brow. Um, (laughs) Yes. I think people have the opportunity through storytelling. I really like what you're saying because you can create a new reality for yourself. And if you don't like the story that you've lived or the meaning that you've created about that story that you've lived, you can create something new. You can create a new meaning or a new end to the story. Yeah. And like, not to say like, escape all your emotions through like creating a false reality, but like use it as an opportunity. Just like after a breakup, we use (laughs) rom-coms to be like, oh yeah, there we go. Uh Uh, Have a kind of Ben and Jerry's happily ever after. Uh Like, it's an opportunity to stop a cycle and begin a health cycle. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, I love that. I love that. And so who, who invited you into the practice of drag? How did that happen? Yeah. Um, uh, oh my gosh. I don't know if there was a who, but well, there, I, there was a who Mikhail Bakhtin, the old Russian he's been dead for a long time he didn't like actually invite me <laughs> but <laughs> from his the research did. yeah yeah it, it started with the research project um at school and, and we were assigned to write a paper on this theorist and how it can be implemented today so i was like oh carnival is drag drag is carnival that seems cool and then i was like well i can't just write about it and not do it like, this is like i can't i like i can't be on the back side of this <laughs> and so i was like i can do this i can totally do this oh uh, and also fun fact here at hope we have a lot of drag performers um in the congregation including sharon share like who is one of the big queens of illinois and she is world renowned um but she hosts at the bistro uh here in bloomington and there was open stage nights and so i went and performed and i was so nervous so nervous yeah but as soon as my foot touched that stage it was just like this encompassing peace oh um, wow it, it was just like this is it this is good and then my there's a reason why my drag persona is like this 1950s 60s woman because i'm an old lady drag oh and it's because i cannot dance Um, so so there's a lot of comes out i know oh my gosh (laughs) this just in miss penny can't dance Um, so it was a lot of awkward gyrations uh, on that stage but it felt so Good. It kind of uh, reminds me a little bit of church Dana Carvey's Church Lady. Ah, yes, yes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh my god, yes. But yeah. And so like after I got off the stage and I went back down into the drag basement, I was like, this is really good. This is really it. But I cannot keep this up. There's only so many songs I can do where I can't dance. And then I discovered the beauty of comedy queen. Um, and Mm. philanthropy queen so like not everyone has to be a dancing queen as Abba says Mm. Um, so my drag mother is Miss Flo No Mo of Peoria, Illinois and she is this amazing comedy and philanthropy queen she's raised over $50,000 in her life of drag for different charities oh wow Um, yeah it's incredible I didn't even know that there was different types of drag I know yes like a whole thing yeah, so it's really beautiful. So there's different, there's there's pageant queens, there's comedy, philanthropy, dancing, fundraising, whatever. Um, lots of different things. Um, and what's really cool about my drag family um, is that we each have our own little subset of community building. So like I do church and that sort of thing. Flo does fundraising my drag sibling, Artemisia Van Ho, uh, does um, literal art creation. They are um, an artist who works at Bradley University and the founder of the Black Artists Guild of Peoria. And so, like, it's a lot of really cool work. And it's all so unique. And that is 
the beauty of drag is that it's all unique, but at the heart of it is a sense of community. Mm. And for people who may not understand that community, I think yeah. it's important. I love that you shared some of that insight because yeah. it is rich and yeah. there's a, it's not a one dimensional thing. Yes, absolutely. RuPaul's Drag Race has done wonders for the inclusion of queer artistry, but there is so much more than just drag race out there. And it's really beautiful. I've recently been connected with a group of queens from across the country who all come from various faith backgrounds who are working on healing spirituality within LGBT communities. Mm. Um, So it's really cool to be connected to people like Bonnie Violet over in San Francisco and like people like in rural Mobile, Alabama, Vermont, um, Toronto, um, like Mm -hmm. all over the world, um, people who are trying to do what it is that I'm trying to do too. Like I I don't exist in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. um, I bet that was really affirming for you to know that you're not the only one. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We all want to know that, that we're not the only one. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, it's really affirming. Hmm. Is that a official organized group or just people <laughs> that you've connected with? It's a Facebook message group. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, folks um, who have like weird, like one to two people removed from each other who have um, like done a little bit of work here and there. And now we're all together. So like this fall, I'm going to the Folsom Street Fair in San Francisco, which for the listeners who don't know, is a big old gay street fair that is primarily serves the leather and BDSM community. And we, as these drag queens, are doing an ecumenical mass, a leather mass. Wow. Um, so we are doing it on the street to uplift and say that we, as these like 10 to 15 queens and faith leaders, are here to say that all identities are here. Christ was once flogged. We are actively flogged in the communities that we are a part of, but Christ dwells with us in the pain. The pain does not come from God, but God is with us. Um, mm. And so I'm super excited for it. <laughs> really neat. Yeah. They're, they're, kind of wild. It's totally wild. The first time I, when I was first asked, I was like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that, but it like as an extension of my art, I think there's room for it. And to be like, if this is how we reach folks mm-hmm. who have not been reached before, who deserve healing and deserve affirmation, this is how we do it. And mm-hmm. there is divinity that dwells in that. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And that's, I mean, that's what happened at Pentecost was that yeah, everybody I, was given the language and yeah. the communication style and the gifts of speaking in all different tongues yes. to reach the masses. Absolutely. And so that's the voice and the communication style and the language that you're using to reach that group of people. Absolutely. That's Mm -hmm. it. That is Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah. So I really like to close these conversations out with kind of some similar questions that I ask all my guests and really get some unique insight into who who they are a little bit more uh, so i have some rapid fire questions oh i'm ready i'm in hot <laughs> let's do this okay so the first one is what is something that people get wrong about you oh um oh my gosh uh rapid fire uh, <laughs> that um well okay uh wrong about me and wrong about drag is that i I still identify as a cis man. Um, drag does not make me um, trans identifying. Um, while there are trans identifying drag queens, I am not that. Yeah. That's really good clarification. Yeah. So you talked about drag as a meaningful spiritual practice for you, but other than drag, uh-huh. what is your favorite or most meaningful spiritual practice right now? Oh, oh my gosh. I would say the rosary, but I already talked about that. Um, 
coffee making and coffee drinking. Some mornings I pour a second cup of coffee um, to like have coffee with the divine um, to kind of externalize and just be like, have a frank conversation, one-sided conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, But it gives me that stillness in my morning to kind of, yeah, converse and pray and meditate. Where do you see the divine as most alive for you in this season? Oh my gosh. Oh, that's a good one. I would say um, through <laughs> through the internet. <laughs> so the divine is in the internet because uh, we have learned through like COVID shut everything down. And yet the divine allowed all these connections to be made online. And to know that even as we are physically alone, we are never alone. Um, So I see that as the divine being alive and well. Mm. What's one thing in your life that might seem ordinary, but is sacred for you? Oh my gosh. I think writing. I I don't do it every day, but just even if it's train of thought, just journaling or writing poetry or prayers, uh, Hmm. seems very ordinary like there he is at the coffee shop jotting stuff down but that's i don't know i see it as sacred it's sacred creation Hmm. uh i'm gonna put you on the spot for a second can i do that oh my gosh yeah can you do you have an extemporaneous prayer or a prayer that you can share right now oh my gosh yes uh let's see here god of creation God of equity and justice and mercy. I pray that we may be able to pick up one thing new um, in this time of learning and growth, that we may be able to exist within ourselves and exist with others, but always may we know that we are loved and whole and with you at all times that in times of sorrow or fear or doubt or depression or anxiety that you have your arm around us teaching us to breathe in for three and out for three breathing through the pain hollowing our tears and letting us know that there is a future, a future with us, and a future worth living. Amen. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Mm. So if people want to connect with you, how can they yeah. do that? You can find me at www.mispennycost.com so m-s-p-e-n-n-y-c-o-s-t dot com or uh, Isaac Simmons on Facebook on Instagram I am at Miss Pennycost m-s-p-e-n-n-y c-o-s-t and yeah or send me an email um, once again uh, misspennycost at gmail.com <laughs> <laughs> but only in nice yeah. emails yeah no hate yeah. emails preferably nice yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else you want to share no that's about it thank you for having me thank you for yeah. giving me this opportunity to to share in storytelling with you and to share in this this moment of creation and goodness uh, and to talk about to talk about me like <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah well it's about us all these yeah. um oh my gosh. these i just love these conversations about um that everything truly is spiritual and whether yeah. it's a cup of coffee or whether it's dressing up in drag yeah. or whether it's just as we go about our daily lives god isn't just in church on sundays god is in yes. the everyday moments of our lives amen. and i want to share that with people amen, amen. That is so good. So thank you. Thank you for joining us and for sharing yourself and being vulnerable. And I really, really appreciate it. And I give you lots of love and blessings for the important work that you're doing. (laughs) Thank you. That means so much to me. 
Thank you for listening to Everything is Spiritual and taking time to nourish your soul. Tune in each week for a little community and a lot of conversation. Or subscribe in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss our next episode. For more resources around spiritual exploration, restoration, and transformation, be sure to sign up on our mailing list at experiencesoulcare.com. Visit our website for information on retreats, workshops, and services from our partners. Or better yet, come visit our welcoming space in Urbana to say hi and get a steaming cup of tea. Soul Care Urban Retreat Center is a warm, welcoming, and accessible place for you to refresh, renew, and restore your mind, body, heart, and soul. We set a great big table, and everyone is welcome. Until next week, be well.